0: He's from the hard-hitting world of ice hockey. She's from the red carpets and tinseltown. Together, they are two of the leading executive producers in Hollywood, responsible for mega hits like Hoosier's, Sudden Death, and the Oscar-winning Ray. A true sports and entertainment power couple. Meet Karen and Howard Baldwin. This is Pucks and Paparazzi with your host, Stephen Maggi. Howard Baldwin has owned teams in the National Hockey League and World Hockey Association. Karen Baldwin has been an actor and TV reporter. This is a real dynamic duo. Now, let's drop the puck and turn the lights. Here is the host of Pucks and Paparazzi, Stephen Maggi. When you think about sports, a lot of what you hear about
1: these days is diversity and so forth. You don't hear that as much in the world of hockey, but that's changing. And Howard and Karen are involved in a project called Harlem Saints. It's going to be a story of inner city programs and how they're changing the way we look at hockey and the way it's played and so on. And who plays it? I think it's a fascinating story, and I think the interesting part is Howard and Karen actually came up with this concept a long time ago, back in the 80s. It's just taken a while for people to catch on. So you guys saw that early, that the world of hockey needed to broaden its base besides just a bunch of white guys, which is what that was for a number of years, primarily because most of the players came from Canada.
0: Like
2: any story, sometimes it takes a long time to bring it from start to finish, and certainly this is one uh, which, of course, the timing is right on. But Karen and I came up with this story in the mid to late 90s uh, and started working with a writer-director named Reggie Hudlin, a terrific guy, and and developed a good story. And it didn't get anywhere because when you went to pitch it to the geniuses that were running the, the networks then, and and remember, you didn't have the opportunities then that you have now. Um, but they'd say, well, it doesn't travel foreign and it's too, you know, it's too it's too ethnic and all that kind of stuff and hockey. and But cutting right to the bottom line, we, we the last few years, we dusted it off and hired two writers, uh, Wesley Johnson and Scott Taylor, working with Reggie, and have come up with a really, really good uh, script and storyline and... Karen, because she's worked closer with the writers than I have, can sort of fill fill in some blanks on that.
3: Yeah, I mean I think what's interesting is when we first came up with the idea, we loved the idea because we wanted hockey to not be so white. It would be great to have it be more diverse and to have more players of color and you know, and, and just and and female players and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So we pitched the idea, and we were told, no, you know, um, that, you know, people who are ethnic aren't interested in hockey. They don't play hockey. And that was the reason for the past. Cut to the last year or two, the reason why they wanted to do it is because of that reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that people who are now, you know, people who are of multi-ethnicity, diverse, or, that they should now be wanting to play hockey, and hockey is wanting that audience. So I think this project was just a matter of waiting for the time to come. We were probably a little ahead of our time and just had to be patient until the world was kind of ready for it.
1: Well, you guys saw it, and it amazes me just seeing what soccer did. You know, not a lot of people played soccer, and then since Pele came up and played in New York, all of a sudden people got interested, and now everybody's kid plays soccer and really, hockey is no different, except you've got to get people interested in it. And you've got to do what the film talks about, is get into the inner city and stuff and have the facilities. Because I guess hockey, the difficult part is it does take a lot of equipment, and you got to get ice time and all that.
3: Yeah, it's expensive to play hockey compared to the other sports where you maybe just need a pair of sneakers and a ball. You know, with hockey, you need equipment, you need skates, you need ice time and all that, so... What Part of what they're trying to do with the NHL is a concerted effort also towards street hockey to get kids interested in playing, you know, street hockey in the street. And then maybe from that, it can spring into interest in the actual ice hockey. And,
1: you know, Howard, as you were, of course, in the WHA and then in the NHL. Was there ever a real effort, like, we got to develop this, because ultimately you could see America was changing. I mean, certainly the same people that started the WHA started the ABA. They certainly saw it in basketball. Was there some talk of how do we do that?
2: You know, I have to be completely honest with you. There was little talk in the 70s. and then And then starting in the 80s, people started to talk about it more. And, you know, the project, for example, in Harlem that, that, that whole ice rink facility there, and how that developed, which is part of our story, was important. and as as the sport spread, then a greater number of people got interested in it, and it became more available to a, an economy that could afford it, quite frankly. Uh, Karen said it earlier, this is a sport that demands artificial ice and demands, you know, you have to have a lot of equipment, you have to have money to rent the ice and and it it's not a black or white issue, it's just a question of the region in which the sport was developed, Canada primarily, and then as the sport grew, more and more regions became aware of it, and as the sport grew on television, more and more regions became aware of it. And so so it spread then to young African Americans or or European players or players from the Far East. All of a sudden, they started playing the sports, which is wonderful, and 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 have made a big impact on the sport.
3: So Wayne Gretzky being traded
2: to Los Angeles put him in
3: a very big market at a time when hockey was just sort of you know starting to catch people's interest. And the fact that Wayne Gretzky was in L.A. and it's sort of all of a sudden you know there was a roller hockey league and and people who had sort of lived in the Sunshine State, had a way to play hockey of sorts. And I think um, for young kids, that was very appealing, and it's just caught on.
1: I think you're right. Even before Gretzky moved to Los Angeles, back when he was winning Stanley Cups in Edmonton, his goalie did a lot for this too, right? Grant Fuhrer.
2: Gra- Grant Fuhrer. Well, of course, you have the Willie O'Ree, who is a great pioneer and played with the Bruins. And uh, believe it or not, we had a player in the WHA. His name was Alton White, good player. And but but few and far between. And then Grant came in in the 80s and was a star player. We had we had uh, Ray Neufeld for the Whalers um, and it was terrific cuz it it set the great example for other young African American players to say, "God, I want to play that sport." And, and and that's exactly what's happened. It's spread across a whole different bunch of cultures, and, and it's created a real diversity.
3: And it's interesting, we have um, Anson Carter, who is a former African-American NHL player. He's one of the producers on this with us. Um, so he is sort of the voice of experience a little bit as well, which is kind of cool and fun to have him on board.
1: All of this is really good because society changed. I mean, the old uh, term "oh, black kids don't play hockey." Well, that's really unfair, and you know, it's a myth that kind of builds on itself. But I remember as a kid going to hockey games in the seventies. You go look at an arena filled with fourteen thousand people, and you might see ten people of color, right? Now you go to a, a hockey game and it's a much larger percentage because the game has expanded that way. It just, it seems to me like this is a good thing for society and it's really ultimately really good for a, the world of hockey.
2: Oh, there's no question. And look, when we were in the in the 60s and 70s, um, even then, it was almost unheard of to have anybody other than Canadian and then a Canadian in the NHL. Right. And... and the sport expanded. The WHA came up. All of a sudden, then you had Canadians, Americans, Swedes, Finns, Russians, Czechs, and the and the sport started expanding. And then look at this, Steve. You know, now I think Austin Matthews um, uh, from the I forget where Arizona. Or you've had draft choices, number one draft choices that came up into in the hockey programs in areas in which you wouldn't have dreamed of hockey 30 or 40 years ago. So it's it's a great thing.
3: And there's an, another uh, female that we have involved also is um, Blake Baldwin, who is um, the first female coach for the L.A. King. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an African-American gal who plays hockey and is a coach. Um, and she's also on board um, as one of the advisors for us on this. So we've tried to really pepper the producing team and the people who are involved sort of technically um, to be very familiar with the subject matter. And, and we've hired a fantastic director, um, a black woman um, whose uh, name is Kelly Park. And Kelly's all excited because she feels like, again, for, for young girls, um, this sport is really cool. And obviously there are no NHL female players yet. But I think, you know, obviously women are 50% of the population, and I think it's great that this will appear to both boys and girls.
1: Yeah, well, you're seeing that in the Olympics and so forth, right? I mean, women's hockey is almost as popular as men's hockey. I mean, people really enjoy it.
2: Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, I really enjoy watching the women's hockey. They're good. They're fun to watch, and it's good to broaden the interest of the sport and and do it in in our stories is a fun commercial again, Steve. triumph of the human spirit. Um, and and it, it, people will really, really enjoy it because it's it's, it's PG, it's family-friendly, and it's heroic.
3: It's mighty dust for this generation. We should be so lucky. That's you know true. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. Well, well kind of give us a, a
1: rundown of the story itself. What's the story?
3: Um, it's it's about a group of young kids that live in Harlem. Um, and um, they, they kind of, you know, it's, it's a group of kids that are kind of smart kids, but also love to hang around and play sports together. But they kind of get the short shift and always aren't able to get on the basketball court, aren't able to do, you know, some of the things that some of the older boys do. Um, so they kind of decide, Hey, you know, um, we go roller skating. It's kind of fun. They hear about this tournament and they find out more about the hockey and they say, Hey, maybe let's try this inline roller hockey. And then maybe from there we can, we can join this hockey tournament. And it's a little bit like bad news bears. I mean, mighty ducks is, you know, obviously you take a leap of faith. They learn how to play awfully quickly, but you know, it
1: works. <laughs> yeah, right. It's well. It's it's one of those great stories that everybody can get right. behind. You always love to see the underdog come up mm-hmm. and do some great things. But you've said this in the eighties, or right late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Talk about yeah. that because I think that makes it interesting.
3: It's in the in the eighties. This right. was really it's uh, the 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 birth of it. Started with Harlem hockey and the New York Rangers and starting these inner city programs. And in the 90s, it sort of expanded to all the different teams. And now there's quite an extensive inner city program, and and we're seeing the ramifications of kids of color um, wanting to play the sport, being able to play the sport. So we wanted to set this movie back in the time period where it first occurred to people that this is a good idea. And this was actually the, the, the time frame when we originally had the conceit for the movie, So we thought, okay, let's set it back in the day, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Let's take the benefit of some of the great music from that time, um, some of the funky fashions. I think kids love the time setting of Stranger Things. yeah. And this sort of taps into that.
1: I'm sure it's going to be a great soundtrack, too. And Mm -hmm. and that's important. Talk, if you would, a little about the music. Because there is a thing, and it's not only the soundtrack, the songs you hear, but even the little background thing that you're not even aware of it kind of sets a tone, right? It can make it change the way you feel as you're watching it.
3: Absolutely. I think music in general is probably something people don't give enough credit to. But if you stop and think of the great movies and the great scenes, you often think of that scene, and you can often think of the music played during that scene. You know, Chariots of Fire, um, Gladiator. <laughs> if you stop and think about the big, you know, the big yeah. tentpole Art. scenes, you hear Art. the music, Rocky. Um, And I think especially with this for kids, I think um, the music just gives it energy. You know, it just gives it that next layer of of entertainment value.
1: Which hockey is perfect for, right? Because that sport has as much energy as any sport out there.
3: Yes. Yes, it's a fast sport. It's a fast sport. Unlike, you know, basketball is fast. Baseball, not so fast, but that's it's a different kind of sport. Whereas hockey is pretty much, you know, non stop motion. And hockey is the only sport where you have to be able to do something to do something else. In other words, you have to be able to skate in yeah. order to be able to play the sport. There's no other sport where you have to be able to do something in addition to playing the sport.
1: Luke Robotai and the Kings are going to be involved in this, as I understand it as well. And that's always important to get that input and, and that support from guys that are playing the game right now.
2: Yeah, Luke has been very supportive, um, and the Kings have been very supportive. Uh, but the NHL has, too. Um, we had a great conversation with them, with Kim Davis, and with Steve Mayer, and 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 I think, and frankly, Gary Bettman is aware of the project. Um, and I think it's a kind of a project that everyone would like to see made and made well, which is the way we intend to do it.
1: Do you think there's a possibility that when this film gets out there, unlike some of the other films that we've we've talked about and so forth, where this could have maybe more of a societal effect, like kind of take what's going on and people are going to see it in various places that never thought of a ice hockey rink, or if they had a rink, they never thought about trying to get people from the neighborhood to start a league, maybe it'll open that up. I mean, this could really be, uh, film has a lot of power when it comes to things like that.
2: Well, it's a good point, Steve. You, you, you appreciate your raging raising that point. And, you know, an ice facility, an ice rink can be wonderful for a community. And that's really the essence of our story, how uh, re- revitalizing a rink. Revitalizes a community. Um, that's why we were in Hartford. The whalers were in Hartford, and it can happen in a big way, and it can happen in a small way, where where people need things to do, and they need good things to do, and they need to get off the street and get out of trouble. Whether I don't care where you live, it's always good and healthy to have have a diversion and have something good and healthy to do. And having a rink in your facility or a little mini arena is a wonderful thing for the kids. Boys, girls of all sizes and shapes.
1: Yeah, sports in general are really good for... It's a place to go. It's a place to get exercise. And it's a place to learn to work as a team. I think it's great anywhere. 100%. You're right. Want to, before we go, want to talk about... You're going know, have to cast this thing. You haven't started yet. This is a big thing. Do you have anybody in mind... or Not even a person in mind, but rather a particular type you're looking for that you think is going to be really crucial... To uh, for this story,
3: yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the biggest name we can get in the in the lead role of of Zeke the better. I mean, you know, there are your usual suspects of you know Jamie Foxx, Eddie Murphy, Um, and I think like also some fun stunt casting. You could go with Cedric the Entertainer. You could go with you know Snoop Dogg. Right. Um, There's great. There's a great picture of on the NHL website of. Gary Bettman and Snoop Dogg, so believe me, we'll be exploring that.
1: (laughs) And I imagine you're going to be looking for some uh, particularly charismatic young kids, because that always makes a difference in these things, and these are kind of, you're going to probably be going for fresh faces, I would imagine.
3: Absolutely, and I think one of the things that's really exciting with this is our director, Kelly Park, has done a lot of TV shows in particular with young kids. And obviously, the kids that we cast will want to cast the best actors possible. You know, there aren't a lot of name young kid actors. So that will be the fun part, really finding terrific young actors, up-and-coming young talent. And as part of that whole program, um, Kelly does a whole learning experience for the, for the younger actors who participate in, in her projects where they talk about what it's like to be a professional and what it's like to be part of a team as an actor, Um, And what's expected of you and how you should be on time and how you should be organized and know your lines. And and that's an aspect of this that I really think is kind of fun and kind of cool. Because if you can teach a next generation of actors some of those basic rules, I think, you know, you'll be grooming the next generation to be very professional.
1: This has been such a fun year. Our first season of Pucks and Paparazzi have had a blast. As we look ahead... To the years to come, I just want to get an idea. As you guys look out in your crystal ball, uh, once this movie's made and so forth, uh, are we still looking at uh, movies in the theaters, or are we going to look at streaming? Where do you see the future of this world that you guys are so intimately involved with?
2: There isn't any question. Everything shifted to streaming in the last five years. Um, now, a lot of that had to do with COVID. COVID did didn't do anything good for us as a society. At all, people got sick, people died, but it did, it did do a lot for streaming. Yet you you were forced to stay home, you were forced to find, so streaming became pretty popular. Now I'm sure you've noticed, all of a sudden, COVID is is less of a factor, and movies are coming back into the theaters. I personally believe people are always going to want. The theater experience. They're always going to want to get out of the house and go to a nice dinner and go to a movie. It's an event experience. I think your, your smaller movies and maybe, you know, your more mainstream movies will probably go through the streamers, but your tentpole movies that have a genre aspect to them, I think will have great room in the theater.
3: I'm going to give you sort of a strange answer to that one. Um, and it's an answer that was motivated by something that a very famous writer named Ray Bradbury, who is a fantastic science fiction writer, an icon, really. Um, I'm going to say the answer to that question is I don't know, and you just have to stay open to any possibility. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is when we were doing Sound of Thunder, which was a project based on Ray Bradbury's short story of the same title. We were at the studio, and Ray said, I just want to make sure that you know in my contract that I'm requesting the rights to Mars, okay? (laughs) And the studio executives laughed like, ah, ha, ha, and he said, hey, I'm serious. In 1950, if I had pitched you the Internet, you'd laugh at me, too.
0: Wow,
1: that's true.
3: That was pretty gonna, cool, Yeah, right? that mean, is. So, like, you never know is the answer to that question for me. And that was thanks to Ray Bradbury. He opened my mind to, like, you know, don't close your mind to any possibility. You might be able to have an, an avatar come to the house and perform. Well, right? yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Well, I right? was going to ask you, uh, virtual reality, is that something you could see at some point? Because it kind of reminds me of, uh, I'm a kid that looks at the Jetsons, this stuff was supposed to be happening, now it isn't, but in the Jetsons, they used to have the TV, the, the performers would actually come out and perform in your living room and go back in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I guess you have to be alert on all those things and you, you want to get it not in the gimmick stage but you want to get on the early uh development of it because that could be the next big thing who knows
3: absolutely i mean look at the michael jackson concert yeah now they have that you know they have a hologram (laughs) and and he comes out and they say do you know what i mean i mean yeah i honestly do believe that at some point in time Harrison Ford and Jimmy Stewart will be able to coexist in a movie as if they were acting together in a present day situation because of the technology why not
1: well that's very cool well I hope next season we're talking about the same thing and see what you guys are into we got a lot of great things especially Harlem Saints so keep an eye out for that what a fun year can't wait for our next season thank you both Howard and Karen
3: yeah and Steve thank you it's been such a pleasure and, and you, you, you are a terrific Hosts and a terrific person to be asking us questions. You you ask things that are right on, and it's been really fun and interesting for Howard and I to be able to interact with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
3: See you
2: next year. Okay, Steve. God bless.
1: That wraps up season one of Pucks and Paparazzi. We will be back for season two very soon, and we we'll hope you'll join us then. For Karen and Howard Baldwin, I'm Stephen Maggi. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Pucks and Paparazzi. Join us next time for a fun, unique look at the worlds of sports and entertainment. Thanks for listening.